listening to the Abide Podcast. To find out more about Abide, go to AbideChurchFL.com and enjoy today's message. Well, good morning. It's a joy to be together today. Um, we have pivoted uh, as a spiritual family here. We've been uh, focused in the last few months on the altar. We had the fire on the altar conference, which was awesome, or not a conference, sacred assembly, which was awesome. And, um, and one of the things, visions God's given Geo and the team, which I love, is this idea of altar, table, and road. And so the altar is our ministry to the Lord. It's just right at the core of how we do life, how the New Testament church did life together. The table is our communion with one another in the gospel, the spiritual family, the horizontal mutual love and honor. And then the road is the mission, the going out. And, and what strikes me as I was preparing for this morning is that Jesus wants to dwell in Tampa Bay. And that there is a, there is a culture in which he manifests himself. And I, I believe that there is a leaning in that we have right now into that culture. And I just, I love the language that the leadership team here is stewarding of altar, table, and road. And so we're, we're pivoting now. And I think the last couple of weeks, we've begun to pivot into the table. And so I'm excited to get to preach on the table today, which is the family, the mutual body life that God has for us, which is unto his habitation. But let me just pray one more time for, for God's grace. Lord, we, we pray for grace this morning. We just pray that you would open up your word and, and, and open up our hearts to receive. Lord, we want to see a deposit, Lord, of your grace this morning in this place. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Well, before I, I get into the word, um, I just wanted to very briefly mention, some of you guys have been tracking, we are like less than a month and a half now away from the tent going up in Tampa. Um, and I just wanted to say uh, one, maybe two statements on that. Um, I know it's cliche, but this is not a conference. And what I mean by that, and I don't mind conferences. What I mean by conferences, we gather around a teaching or a personality, and, or we gather around, typically we gather around speakers to hear what they have to say. And to be honest with you, sometimes that is not wrong. There are anointed teachers that we need to gather around and receive from. So this is not saying any of that is wrong. I know Jesus' image just happened this week. It's amazing. I love it. And I love, I love those environments, but I feel strongly. I, I had a, an encounter with the Lord, which I won't describe now. Um, the day we went public, meaning social media, emails, all of that on the tent, that day, one of my closest prophetic friends had a series of dreams, not knowing we were rolling it out that day about the tent. And in it, I'll give the paraphrase, the real short version was the Lord, I believe, said to us that the purpose of this coming together in public is Second Chronicles 7.14. That this is the divine prescription which says, if my people called by my name would go low, would humble themselves, would lift their voices, seek God's face, and turn from everything else, their own ways and their wicked ways, God's promise to Israel was, I will hear. And I will heal their land. I will forgive their sin. And I believe that principle goes right into the new covenant, which says there's a hope pathway that the church of Tampa Bay needs to move in right now. And the hope is Jesus himself, not ourselves, which is why I can't believe the simplicity. God is saying, if you'll lift your voice and just turn, I will act supernaturally. And I just want us to grab this thing. We're not going to get under that tent with whatever, thousands, whatever it is, and just do an, I, I, I am, I'm serious. We do not want to set that tent up if we're not praying through and doing Second Chronicles 7.14 now. But the great news is it's a hope pathway. It's not this pressure thing. It's a faith thing. I mean, I can't believe that God says, if we'll just lift our voices and turn to him with all our hearts. He doesn't say, fix yourself. He doesn't say, 
you know, be the smartest person in the room. He just says, in sincerity, seek my face, prioritize me, lift your voice and turn from everything else. Then he goes, and I will act in ways that deal with a whole land, a whole geography. And I just want to lay hold of that and go, we're going to get under that tent as a region. And we're not there. I mean, we'll have some famous, I mean, whatever, people. But that's not even the point. We're going to go low and we're going to lift our voice and let God be God. Anything is possible. And I love the simplicity of that, don't you? It's almost so simple, it's offensive. It's like it's got to be a little more complicated than going low and lifting our voices. But it's not. Because of the gospel. Because of Jesus' character and nature. And I just want us to get that, that if we could step into corporate faith right now, as a spiritual family, to steward and to pray through for the region. And then that's going to spill over months later into to gather in the arena where the whole church comes together and then Tampa Bay House. It, the point is, God is doing something awesome in Tampa Bay. I just can't believe we get to be a part of it. So I just wanted to submit that to you guys and just give you the update. We're going to be setting the tent up at South Bay Church. And so, oh, sweet. Um, that's where we're going to be setting up. Initially, it was USF campus. We hit some complications, but we feel actually God's grace on this particular location because he's bringing these churches together in such powerful ways. And so anyway, amen, amen. Just wanted to submit that to you guys. Okay, here's what I want to do this morning. This is going to be a little bit different. Uh, the name of this, this message is the family culture, the culture where God lives. I want to talk about for a minute, this is going to be for a few minutes, this will be teaching. You know, sometimes there's teaching, sometimes there's preaching, and they're both important. Preaching's more that prophetic inspiration, but sometimes you actually have to take a step back, and, and especially as charismatics, we love the preaching side. Like, give me something that hits deep, but sometimes we need to actually take a step back and build some foundations so that we can move together, and I want to talk about the culture of the book of Acts that is an eternal and a supernatural culture of the family. And here's the premise, the family of God. Here's the premise. We are building with one primary, central, overwhelming focus, and it's this, that Jesus' manifest presence would dwell here with real people in a geographic region, and then there would be a launching out of his name and his gospel out of that place to touch the ends of the earth. That's who we are, right? And so the reason I say that is as we start to talk about the table, which is our community with one another, I want to explicitly say that the fellowship of the believers in the New Testament was not an end in and of itself. It was, it's a God-centered community. That's why things like the sacraments or the, the ordinances of communion and the Lord's Supper, he's bringing a supernatural fellowship because the point is that he would be known. And it gives us a different kind of energy around our relationships because there's more at stake in our relationships, biblically speaking, than us just finding a sense of uh, dealing with our loneliness, which God cares about our loneliness. But there's more in the conversation right now. And I think if we can understand the values, the culture that is represented in the book of Acts, and this is where the teaching is going to be a little bit different this morning. I want to talk about the culture, the key cultural elements. And when I say culture, I don't mean ethnic culture, and I don't mean geopolitical culture within a region. I'm talking about the biblical cultural elements that transcend our nationality, our geopolitical cultures, which matter, by the way. God's not trying to do away with ethnic diversity. He's actually in love with ethnic diversity. We're going to look different, sound different, walk these out in different ways. But I think there's great value in taking a look at the book of Acts in the principle of first mention, which is the idea that when God starts something, you have to look at the cultural foundations of that thing to understand what it actually is. And these cultural foundations, what's going to happen is, and some of this isn't new, I think what's going to happen is for abide in the unique place we're in, there's almost like this recentering on who we are. And I just want to teach on that. And this is not exhaustive. 
Uh, there's no way I can give an exhaustive ecclesiological statement in the next 20 minutes. There's going to be stuff about the church I can't talk about in 20 minutes. I want to give some high points of culture. And now, when I say the term culture, what I mean by that are those unique distinctives and values that God sovereignly established in the church and in his people that transcend our ethnicity and find expression in all ethnicities in unique ways. And I want to lean into those because you're born for it. I remember when I was like 11 years old, I was in, I read the book of Acts for the first time. I was in my, I remember the moment I was in the basement of my parents' house alone and I read the book of Acts and maybe, I don't know, maybe it was a, a, a foretaste or something. I don't know. I was pacing the room. <laughs> but that's an inside joke. I was pacing the room and I was saying out loud, God, you made us to look like this, meaning the testimony of the book of Acts, and we don't right now, and one day we will. I just remember this moment as a kid, just getting that deep in my heart and going, I can't live without this at maybe 10, 11 years old, whatever it was. And that has stuck with me personally, and I know it's the value of this house. And so to say this clearly, the table, which is our communion with one another in our relationships, or to say it another way, it's Holy Spirit-empowered friendship. God builds his government in the midst of Holy Spirit-empowered friendships. That's amazing. And so it's not just community. It is unto a resting place. Let's look at Ephesians Chapter 2, 21 and 22, the Apostle Paul says this, speaking of his own ministry. He says, in whom, in Christ, the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together. Everybody say that, built together. Built together into what? A dwelling place for God by the Spirit. In other words, our coming together is cosmic in its significance. And there are things God won't do when we're not together. And so to labor for the community is to labor for God's manifest presence in Tampa Bay and the nations. Now, I want to say um, revival does not. How many of you know revival does not happen in a vacuum? There is a process, and now this is not striving in a religious sense to get God's attention, but from a leadership perspective, there is a building process of culture in which God dwells. And so revival, the move of God that's transformational at a regional and, and global level does not happen in a vacuum. It happens in very intentional cultural development. And I want to say that another way, if we as Abide family will build these cultural values, we will see, not might see, we will see the manifest glory of God begin to increase. I want to give that invitation to you. Culture is more important than systems. Culture is more important than programs. Culture is often intangible, but it's that set of values and practices that define us. And so building culture is what causes the growth. And I want to peer into the first century church's culture for a minute and remind ourselves of who, who the family is. Because there are elements of this culture that are not a little bit different than the world. They're dramatically different. And so one of the key texts we're going to look at is Acts chapter 13, 1 through 3. This is the church at Antioch. I want to just, in a minute, we'll read that. But how many of you know that healthy things grow? That the New Testament model is that he's building a healthy culture among us as the strategy to reach the lost and to grow. Now, now numbers are not the metric. Numbers of people in the room are not the only metric for healthy growth. It's deep and wide. But I also want to say this. Numbers also matter. The book of Acts full of the numbers. 3,000 are added here. Numbers are added here. These, so that, there are thousands of people. In fact, Tampa Bay, the church of Tampa Bay, many of the leaders are, are believing in 2024 for 1 million salvations. 
I'm not one church. I mean, even the church at large is believing God. Can we set our agreement on that? Well, the way we get there is not by just raising a ton of money. We have to build a culture. Because the key to a billion people saved is God's personal presence. And there are things God will bless that he won't live in. And so I want to take a step back at this apostolic, I call it apostolic patterns in the book of Acts and in the epistles that I hope these things grip your heart and you start to go, I was born for this. And that we as a spiritual family with Gio and Marcus Tyler, the team can begin to move together in these values and know the why behind the what, like we know what we're building. And so this, like I said, this is teaching but the point is that growth is coming to abide. And how many of you know growth is hard? We want to grow until we start growing. I mean, did anybody in this room actually go through adolescence? You're like, your nose gets bigger than your feet, and you just like, your feet get bigger. Than, it's just weird. Growth is weird. I love I love teenagers. It's like the most, and voices change. I mean, growth equals change. Change equals being uncomfortable, but the change is the only consistent thing in life. You're not growing, you're not healthy. And so we are growing. Man, somebody's marketing budget worked. We are, we are really growing. How many of you want to grow? Yeah. I, I'm not, I mean personally and I mean together. We have to grow God's way, yeah. not the humanistic way, because you can have versions of growth, and I don't mean this arrogantly. I, I don't come today as the expert at all. I'll say things that I'm, I feel like I'm in kindergarten in. But I want to say them anyway because they're in the narrative, and I just want there to be like a culture shift almost back to a set of values that can be expressed many different ways, but these set of values are Jesus' heart, and if we can get around them, um, I, believe we will, I believe we'll see massive growth. The Jesus movement in Jerusalem, I just want you to track with this. In Acts chapter 1, they had 120 believers, right? In a day... They multiplied to 3,000. And that's Acts chapter 2. In Acts 2.47, it says, And the Lord added to their number, guess how often? Daily. Daily salvations. By the time you get to Acts chapter 4, verse 4, it says the number of men was 5,000. Now, that means with women and children, easily you're looking at 30,000 plus, probably more than that. Now, let's put this in context for a minute. The, the city of ancient Jerusalem only had between 60 to 80,000 people in the city. I was studying this, preparing today, and I was looking at scholarly research on how big Jerusalem actually was. Let's put our minds around this. They went in a matter of a few years from 120 to probably 30,000 plus in a city of 60 to 80,000. Now, that's serious. There's any wonder why the, the leadership in Jerusalem were trying to stamp them out. They weren't a side thing in a closet at that point. They were a people movement in an entire region. But that exponential growth had a set of values that are clear. And I want to say, if we will build those values, we will also see exponential growth. The problem is they're simple values, but they're not easy values. And it's very easy to substitute those values for other values. And I say that to myself. Not, I'm not pointing the finger, but let... Do you know, here, here's an example. Paul's missionary journeys, the body of believers had grown from 120 to thousands spread throughout the entire northeastern Mediterranean basin. We're talking about tens of thousands. Many in Jerusalem, and of course, you know the testimony went elsewhere. Do you know that by the time Paul sent out from Antioch and does his first 
a, a missionary journey. Do you know all of that happened within about 25 years? Let's put this in context. In 25, Jesus is a great builder, but he built something very specific. And that movement expanded in Jerusalem itself to probably be a third plus of the city being saved. And then it went all over the, the known world in that Mediterranean basin through Paul's missionary journeys. And the, thus, we're standing here today. It says we're built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. We're standing on this heritage. And we actually need to go back to the ancient paths if we're going to move forward to the completion of the Great Commission. And so to revisit those ancient paths and to get reconnected to the original values that define that level of expansion. Listen, there's a sovereignty element in this, and I acknowledge that. The first century church was unusual. It was the starting point. So I recognize you can't just fabric, you can't just work up revival. I'm not suggesting that. But actually, when you see the values, you understand that's not even what the values are. But the, the point is, I recognize the sovereignty of God in that season. But I also want to submit to you, God intended that the church of Brandon, Florida would learn from the church of Jerusalem and Antioch. He intended that the upper room would be a prototype, not a historical event. He intended that a specific culture would multiply around the globe because that culture is a reflection of his actual person. And if we will return to these cultural values and let them define, let them become the set of glasses that define every decision we make, and that, beloved, is going to be disruptive for me leaders, but it is so worth it, I believe, to pursue these things. And so the question is, are we a family or are we a movement? And the answer is yes. It's a family movement. It's family first, movement second. But the problem with family, see, see where I think we are as a a spiritual family here is when Abide started, the altar was the primary emphasis, meaning worship and prayer was the ongoing. And, and, and now we're in a situation where just like a nuclear family, when a husband and wife get married, it oftentimes produces little people. And the most disruptive thing in the life of a nice couple is those little people. I mean, when you're married, you can just, you don't have kids yet, you can just do whatever. You can stay up, you can go out at night, you can just go on a trip. You know what I'm talking about? You can just get in the car, hey, let's drive somewhere, sure, yeah, let's go, boom. Then you get a little crying human, and you can't even leave the house. You're like, oh my gosh, hey, you want to go? And it's so glorious, and it's God, and it's disruptive. See, what happens with growth is we, spiritually speaking, have children. But how many of you know to have a healthy marriage, you have to actually keep dating your spouse even while you have children? Because if the marriage doesn't come first, the children don't do well. And so here we are at Abide with this challenge, and it's so wonderful. How do you keep the altar at the center while serving the fruit that has come from it? I love this. This is going to be a great year. Oh, it's going to be awesome. It's a hot mess. Because you have to fight to keep the altar at the center more than you did before. It's harder to keep it at the center. Just like it's harder to continue to date your spouse when you have five little humans that we love. And, of course, we're thrilled. The biggest blessing of our lives, of our married life, for sure, is our children. We love them with all of our heart. But... To try to have a healthy marriage, you got to work at it. So to keep the altar at the center, we're going to have to work this next year. Because you can't forsake the children, which are God's gift to you. Does that make sense? So we're in a great place. It's called growth. It's called God's way. And, and some people forsake the altar when the kids come. And then they plateau, and eventually the thing dry, goes down. 
I had a friend of a major move of God, one of the biggest outpourings of the Holy Spirit in the 20th century. He was one of the leaders of it. And I had coffee with him, and he said, I want to reconnect to what you guys are doing because in our early days, intimacy with God was everything for us, and we no longer live that way. And we became professionals at the anointing. We can still heal the sick as much as we did when we did that. And it can be a delusion. But after a while, he goes, I know this movement will do this. Which is why the church at Antioch did what they did. Let's put it in context. Can we look at it? Antioch chapter, thir- Antioch chapter 13. <laughs> Just to open your Bible to the book of Antioch. Y'all didn't have that yet, but see, one of the cultural elements I'm going to introduce is we're about to expand on the canon this morning. Yep, I, y'all didn't see that coming, but I'm just submitting that to you guys as a team. Tyler's for it, so we're good. <laughs> That's a joke, by the way, just for the record. For those watching online in our extended spiritual family, Abide does not believe in expanding on the 66 books of the Bible. Is that better? Okay, now there was in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said... Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and sent them off. Now, here's my point. Because what I want to do is I want to talk about the first pattern is ministry to the Lord. Now, I'm going to hit a few others here. What we're doing is we're talking about the culture. You guys ready for this? Um, but, but here's the thing. Let me give one more example of the growth. How many of you know that there's this thing out there called Airbnb? I was looking at some stats. Now, these are old stats. It's like 2015. In 2015, Hyatt Hotel Chain had 97,000 employees. Airbnb had 2,300. Yet Airbnb has far more rooms available than Hyatt. Now Airbnb has more rooms available than the top five hotel chains combined. How? They put the ministry in the hands of everyday people. They had a culture where they began to multiply and expand. And and it's what Rick Warren said. He said, you can either have control or you can have a movement. And so we're at a growth process, which means we're going to have to relinquish control and embrace some core values. And and, uh, another book I want to reference is called The Rise and Fall of Movements by Steve Addison. He says, one of the key observations is that when movements shift from a focus on the word of God that started and fueled the movement to organizational preservation, they inevitably begin to collapse. Maintaining clarity to the word of God that is fueling and inspiring the movement is key to continuing through the ebbs and flows. In other words, what Jesus said to Ephesus, do the things you did at first. You got to do first things if you're going to grow into the fruitfulness. And so the first cultural value is a radical focus on ministry to the Lord. What we mean by that is intercession and worship as a culture. Now, I want to say that because here we are in the table series, right, which is our relationships with each other. But I want to say this statement because I think it's important in the midst of growing into the table and the road. Listen to this statement. The healthiest community in history had ministry to the Lord at the core. The first century church had ministry to the Lord at the core. Now, how we do that when we have kids changes. This is what we had to learn the hard way. How you do it can change. Some people could put more hours than they now can. However... It stays at the center. Does that make sense? And, and ministry to the Lord. In, in fact, Paul personally was the model. How many of you ever read Paul's testimony of intercession? The guy was an intercessor. In fact, I'll say it another way. Of all Paul's activities, the most frequent activity of the Apostle Paul's life was prayer. 
Can you hear that? He says, he was the one that coined the phrase, pray without ceasing. He was the one that said, Timothy, I pray for you day and night. He preached, he wrote epistles, he traveled, he served, he preached the gospel, he healed the sick. But the most frequented activity of Paul's life was intercession, and it was ministry to the Lord. And because as we're growing into the family, here's what we have to do. Maintain the core cultural value of ministry to the Lord and fight for it. Because if we will fight for it while doing due diligence to build community, and there's the challenge, we will see exponential growth, not just in numbers, but in depth. And so that's what we want, yeah? So here we are. We're in a, we're in a context where the Lord is calling us to embrace like Acts. Why do you think the church at Antioch was ministering to the Lord with fasting? What's the history here? church at Jerusalem expands. Paul gets sent out. There's tons of process in the middle, but Antioch was the first Gentile church, major, predominantly Gentile church. It was a huge moment in history, Acts 13. I don't think we appreciate. That was the first major Gentile hub of the predominantly Gentile hub of the church. And I think that the leadership team of that church got gripped with first things. I think they realize we can't plateau. We have to move forward. And the only way we move forward is to take that upper room culture of Acts 2 and the upper room culture of Acts 4 and put it into Acts 13. They never stopped. In fact, even when you get to Acts chapter 6, the apostles themselves, they had tens of thousands of people in their community, and they said, guys, listen, we have to raise up deacons because if we don't, we'll not have time to do the ministry to the Lord and prayer in the word, and therefore we have to do it so the whole movement doesn't plateau. And I think we're in a moment right now where we as leaders have to go, okay, wait one second here. We're about to expand. How do we do ministry to the Lord? Well, here's what it looks like. You start raising up deacons. You start building systems. You start moving together so that you can fight for the ministry to the Lord. Does that make sense? Cultural value number one. Cultural value number two. Emphasis and dependency on the person of the Holy Spirit. I want to say when you read that, in fact, let's, let's listen to Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but you know the verse. With what? The demonstration of the Spirit's power. How many of you know what the Bible in the New Testament teaches about is not the gifts of men or the fruit of the Christian life? It's the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. They were, in the book of Acts, radically dependent. They built in such a way that the Holy Spirit would have his full work and reign over their communities. And how many know that takes intentionality? So the cultural value is, that's not a charismatic thing. That's an apostolic New Testament thing. We are dependent and gloriously connected to a real person that has indwelt us as the only pathway forward. So to stay in communion with him becomes more than a charismatic altar call. It's our lifeline. And many wealthy churches in the West have substituted the ministry of the Spirit for our resources. We have declared, non-verbally at times, but by our practice, that our real value is in our human resources. If we can get a bigger building, a bigger marketing budget, a bigger media team, a bigger personality, a better gift, human natural gift, then we'll grow. And the Lord goes, all of that I like has a place. That's not the strategy one. My actual strategy one is the Holy Spirit who takes that which belongs to Jesus and declares it to us. So again, cultural value, first century church, the Holy Spirit himself was the strategy. Pattern number three, value number three. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fire through just a couple of these, and then we're going to wrap up. But I, I want to, some of these, what I want to do is I just want to say them. One of the jobs of leaders is sometimes just to say it out loud so it gets into our ears and our hearts. Apostolic, again, this is not exhaustive, but the 
pattern number three is this, messaging focused primarily on Christology. I'm going to say that again. The messaging of the first century church and of Paul was primarily Christ. And the messaging of many of our communities is primarily self-help strategies. And I don't mean to buy, I'm not pointing the finger. I'm just saying God's about to shift the messaging back to a Christological focus. That was the message of the first century church. And I want to say to us right now, the message of abide is not prayer or missions or worship. Is that okay? The message isn't a movement or a brand or a mission statement on a website or a church model. All that can be helpful, but none of that is the core message. The sound that's going to come out of the church at the end of the age is one thing, Christ and him crucified. That's the sound, the song, the rhythm, the, and it's, it's Christ in us. It's the work of atonement. It's the incarnation. It's the preexistence. It's the resurrection. It's the ascension. It's his intercession and his session for us. And it is his return to rule from Jerusalem as the king of the Jews forever. That's the sound. It's not worship. It's not a movement. I think I wrote in the notes here. It's not a movement, it's not a personality, it's not an activity, and it's not a spiritual gift. It's Christ. We've got to get fascinated again. Uh, in a minute, I'm going to do something really different. I'll give you the heads up. We're charismatics in here. We like to pray in tongues, but I would like in a minute to stand up. We're not yet. We're about to wrap up. I want to stand up and I want to say together the Nicene Creed. Because we got to return to the foundations of Christology. And that's his presence among us, his, the centrality of, because Jesus' presence is Jesus. He's what we're after when we come together, right? And we got to turn, we got, I was just, I was over at Jesus' Image. I couldn't make it to the actual event, but a couple weeks ago I went to their church because I was meeting Michael and some things anyway. And he was preaching the incarnation again. And I went, I love this guy. He's capturing something that we need. Many people don't even know what the incarnation is. But that's okay. We're going to move forward. But remember the words of Paul. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I love this statement. He says, and so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom, but as I proclaim the testimony of God to you, and he says, for I resolved to know nothing among you, nothing among you except one thing, Christ and him crucified. What if abide church, that was when you, when you cut us, we bleed Christ. Prayer is valuable because you're talking to Christ and you're hearing back from him. Missions is valuable because Jesus is worthy of unreached people groups. Church building is valuable because Jesus manifests himself where two or three are gathered and we're a real family. That's the whole point. And that's what Paul bled. That's what Peter bled. That's what Christ died for. And that's the only sound that's going to carry us through what's about to come on the world. And so the primary message was Christology, which just means the study of Christ. Pattern number four, quickly, it's the revelation of the Father and of spiritual family that we are not an organization first, we are a family first. That's a whole message, and I'm sure we're going to get it in these next few weeks. But I want to say it out loud. Let me just say a couple statements on that quickly. One statement is this, relationships are not expendable. I'll say it another way. Relationships in God's family are not transactional. If we want to build a dwelling place for Jesus, we have to move past relationships being transactional and expendable. It doesn't mean there's not a place for some boundaries. or That, that happens, but even the boundary thing can get weird because it can turn into expendability. But relationships are not expendable. 
and they are not transactional, meaning I'm not in a relationship with you just to get out of you what I need to build my ministry vision. May God help us. How many of you know God is confronting celebrity Christianity right now? I've been saying, I talked to my friend Alan Hood the other day, and he phrased it this way, just being, this is probably a private way to phrase it, but here we go. He said, Jehu is riding. This is a time where it's almost like we duck everyone because God is dealing with celebrity Christianity, our idolatry of one another so that we can love one another. How many of you know you can't love people you idolize? And when you idol, even when you idolize Christian community as an ideal, it can become an idol. Worship can become an idol. And what happens is, like Henry Nowen says, you have to die to your neighbor to love your neighbor. Let me say that again. We have to die to our neighbor to love our neighbor. Amen. Pattern number five is diverse community. The book of, in Acts 13.1, it says there was multiple ethnicities doing life together as a miracle. I want to tell you what's coming is not that we lose our ethnic and racial diversity, but that we find one another in the gospel, Jew, Gentile, black, white, Latino, Asian, on and on. We find one another as one, and then there's a manifestation of God when that community begins to do life together. It is in the biblical pattern. Pattern number seven is team leadership, and, and you see that, and I have to speed this up, but Team leadership means the word and the spirit are joined together. How many want to be a word and a spirit community? I just don't want to choose. We can, and we are. I'm looking at this row right here. It's all here. Okay. I got a couple other things. One is prophetic culture where we're hearing God. And then the last thing, and, and again, this is not expansive. I just want to just pause for a moment and take a look at the culture of the book of Acts and just go, I remember who we are. It's diverse. It's non-expendable relationally. It's built upon Christology and it's centered in ministry to the Lord. And that communion we have with one another, you know, in the Bible, you can't really tell sometimes where altar, table, and road start and stop. You know that. Like, remember the... the um, the expert in the law that was like, hey, you know, like Jesus, what do I have to do to be saved? He said, well, you tell me. And the guy goes, yeah, love Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He, he said, I've, he goes, yeah, that's, you know, that's a great, you know, that's great. But he combines in the second commandment with the first commandment. He goes, and, and love your neighbor as yourself. He made it one. We like to compartmentalize. He goes, no, that doesn't really compartmentalize in heaven. The altar table and road, it's nice language for us, but ultimately they go like this. Sometimes you can't tell in the book of Acts 2, was that a prayer meeting or an outreach? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Acts 13, was that a prayer meeting or a sending service? Or it was, yes, it's all of it because God just comes in. The deal is we need God to come in. We don't need any more of ourselves. We need to build a culture that he's so drawn to, we can't stay away. And I just am going, what would that look like? If we give ourselves to these values, I believe he will come in. And so the sending, which we did this morning, the proclamation of the gospel to people far from God, the replication of discipleships is the plumb line outcome of the whole deal. We receive so that we can give. And he is drawn. I love the Great Commission. It says, he says in the Great Commission, um, go into all the world, make disciples. You know the verse. Preach, make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I've commanded you. And then what's the last phrase in Matthew 28, the Great Commission? Do you remember it? And lo, I will be with you. In other words, you go and I show up. I'm going to show up when you go. But you also have to have the altar for me to show up. And actually, you have to be in non-transactional relationships where you love each other for me to show up. Because guess what? It's all about him. And I just want to boldly call us in 2024 to build the altar, to build the table, and to build the road. And maybe you're saying, well, gosh, I wish I could pick one. Well, Jesus is the leader. And he's calling because all of it is him. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to do two things. We're going to end now. And I know we're, I know we're charismatics. 
But there's two things I would like to do. And I was thinking about this driving here. I'm like, this is going to be weird. But sometimes as charismatics, you know, we, we did a great ministry time just a minute ago during worship. So we did that already. <laughs> just saying. We'll probably do it more in a minute. Because we love that, don't we? And God loves that. But you know what? Like, I, how many of you guys like Christmas hymns? Have you ever heard the Christmas hymn called Hark the Herald Angels Sing? There is the most incredible theology of Christ in that thing. I sing it and start to cry every time I sing it. I was at a nursing home last night singing to 100 nursing home uh, people, and I'm singing Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. So here's what I want to do. You guys ready? Let's do this, but let's do it. We can do it as charismatics. You can get into it. You know what I'm saying? You guys ever heard of the Nicene Creed? Okay, when it says Catholic, that does not mean Roman Catholic. It means global, okay? Just making sure we're clear. Can we stand up together? Do, you, do we have this? Because we're going to build on the foundation of Christ himself. I just think it would just honor God to join whatever, 1,600 years of church history that has said this together. How many of you guys want to go, go to the ancient things every once in a while? And just, can we throw that? Do you have the Nicene Creed? Throw it up here. Okay, here we go. We're going to say this together before God because this is a statement that thousands of years of church history or hundreds of years have they've been saying together. And I want to say it as an act of warfare about 2024. We're not going to build on some movement. Here we go. Can we say it together? We believe in one God, the Father, almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through him, all things were made. And for us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and he is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son. And with the Father and the Son is worshiped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and to life in the world to come. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Here's what I want to do. Can we put up Hark to Herald Angels Sing? You guys ready? Let's sing some Christology. Do, you, do we have that? Oh. Okay, you guys ready? <clears throat> I've had some problems musically at this church every once in a while. I'm a little insecure now. Um, maybe Destiny should come lead this. Okay. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise. Join the triumph of the skies. With angelic hosts proclaim. Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Here we go. Christ by highest heaven adored. Christ the everlasting. 
everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel, hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Base the... Uh, this is not the rem <laughs> Is there another slide? Hail the heaven. Nope. <clears throat> I'm having real musical issues at Abide. The, the, this is the best verse. Where does it start? Go back, please, if you don't mind. Okay. Next one. The sun, light and light to all he brings. Mild he lays his glory by. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn King. Amen, amen, amen. <laughs> Woo! It's like the most epic thing. I, I used to lead worship all the time. And, uh, something happened when I came to abide. I just, the Lord was like, I'm lifting the anointing off of you, young man. I'm just kidding. It's a new season. Anyway, the point is, next time you walk in Wawa and they're playing that song, remember God is shouting the incarnation to this region. And may we build on the foundation of Christ, yeah? So let me pray for us real quick. Lord, we pray in the next season as we celebrate um, your birth, we pray that you would build on foundations, that the altar would be raised up, that ministry to the Lord would be right at the core of a spiritual family. God, we are going to go after it, and we're going to set the table to love each other without transactional relationships, and we're going to take the body and blood, and then we are going to embrace the Great Commission. So I pray that these apostolic foundations would become our life together, and that Christ Jesus, you would become the Messiah, the King of the Jews, you'd become our life together. So Holy Spirit, fill us. Fill us, Holy Spirit. Come on, ask him. 10 seconds. Fill us, Holy Spirit. Fill this house. Fill our children. Fill that tent in January. Fill the region with the glory of God in the face of Jesus and shift our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, let's give it up for Jesus. Hey, we love you guys. Quick reminder, there's no prayer room happening this week here. Um, next Sunday morning, we're doing a special Christmas Eve service at 10 o'clock. I would encourage you to get here early. It will be packed. We'll be taking communion together. It'll be a holy time. So give somebody a hug. Tell them you love them. Practice what you just heard. Tell somebody you love them, and we will see you next Sunday morning at 10 a.m. here for this building. We love you guys. Be blessed. <laughs>